I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Psalm 37 this evening. Psalm 37, I prepared notes, printed them. They're there in the foyer if you need to sneak out and grab a copy of the outline that I've prepared from Psalm 37. Psalm 37, a Psalm of David written late in his life. In fact, in Psalm 37, verse 25, David says this. If you're looking there, Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now am old. How many of you can say with David, I once was young but now I'm old? That's good. How many of you are sitting next to someone who once was old or young? And now? All right, you're in trouble there. Good. When one gets old, and I don't know exactly when that happens, you can determine for yourself, but when one gets old, one can look back over the years of life and one can see clearly. After all, hindsight is 2020 vision. And in hindsight, you can evaluate a matter for you can see the whole of the matter. In hindsight, as an old man, David could reflect on the many times in which it seemed that the wicked won. And I wonder if perhaps David looked back to his youth and he rem- remembered the time when his older brothers grossly mistreated him. They, they dismissed him as a little shepherd boy. Perhaps David looked back to his youth and remembered the time when he had a flea from King Saul running for his life. Perhaps David looked back to his middle years when his own son Absalom was turned against him. Or maybe David looked back to the numerous occasions when it seemed as if the wicked were winning their war against David and against David's God. But then again, you don't really need to be old to see those things. Look around today. Look around in real time today, and it appears that the wicked are winning everywhere. And you've watched the news, and you've followed current events, and as It's as if the Apostle Paul was right when he wrote to Timothy, to young Timothy, and he said this, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And then he wrote of the wicked, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And folks, you don't need to be old and look back to see that. We can see that today the ungodly are winning the culture war. The wicked are ruling our society and certainly those of us that, those of you that are older among us can see this clearly. So what do we do when the wicked are winning? Psalm 37, let me pause for prayer. God, we ask that your spirit would be our teacher now as we read and study your word. Lord, it appears to us that the wicked are winning. It appears to us that that the unrighteous, the ungodly, the corrupt is winning the culture war and in control of, of society. Lord, we grieve and lament that. I pray that you would give us perspective this evening as we look back, as we look around As we look forward, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Psalm 37 was written as a Hebrew acrostic in which roughly every other verse begins with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And of course, we know that Hebrew acrostics served as literary devices and mnemonic devices to aid in the memorization and the recitation of the text. However, Hebrew acrostics make it more difficult for our modern minds to discern the structure or to create an outline which is, of course, what I like to do. The problem is that this poetry, in this poetry, the ideas don't necessarily progress chronologically as in other genres of literature. If you might think of a narrative that chronologically works you through the, the story or the narrative, but in this Hebrew poetry, it's a, it's a genre that doesn't tell a story chronologically. Rather, the ideas are threaded and they're woven throughout the psalm. And so therefore, in an effort to help us, I've packaged our study of this psalm in this way. You have the notes before you. I preface it, when the wicked win, when the wicked win, number one, I believe Psalm 37 is teaching us to act, don't react. To act, don't react. Now, acting is something deliberate, something determined. Acting is purposeful. Act, don't react. Reaction is something involuntary and something impulsive. Reaction is something unintentional. So if we tease this out a bit this evening, when we see the wicked win around us, for example, when ungodly legislation is passed in the houses of our government, when ungodly behavior in our culture is paraded when the guilty offender is released as innocent, when news outlets and media spin suppress the truth. Are you following? What do we do? We act, we don't react. How do we act? Well, we can state our action in both the negative and the positive. First, negatively, number one, do not be fearful. Do not be fearful, number one. And if you look at Psalm 37, verse number one, do not fret because of evil doers. Look at the second part of verse number seven. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Look at the second part of verse eight. Do not fret, you can underscore this, it only causes harm. The problem with fear is that fear is most always a reaction. It's an involuntary response that occurs when my heart and mind consider all that could go wrong. Therefore, I must be purposeful, I must act to not be fearful. I must determine to answer my fear with, with faith. When David was captured by the Philistines in the city of Gath, remember who was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath. And there David is captured by those in Gath and those that were related to Goliath, other giants who may have been there, David wrote this in Psalm 56. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 56, verses three and four. Look at verse number one again, Psalm 37, one. Do not fret or fear because of evildoers. That's number one. Do not be fearful. Continue in verse one. Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. That's number two in your notes. Do not be envious. Do not be envious. Envy was Asaph's problem in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse number three, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
And perhaps at times you feel like that. It, it, it just feels like, it seems like the wicked always seem to win. And even though they may lie and cheat their way to the top, there they are at the top, boasting in their success. And our natural impulse is to wish that we were like them. Oh, that I might have what they have. Oh, that I might experience what they experience. Oh, that I might enjoy the good life like them. Which, by the way, Psalm 37 is the answer to Psalm 73. It's easy to remember because they're just inverted digits there. Psalm 37 is the answer to Psalm 73. Which leads us then to a third involuntary response that we should reject by acting. If you look at verse number eight, cease from anger and forsake wrath. That's number three in your notes. Do not be angry. Do not be fearful, do not be envious, do not be angry. And of course, I can qualify this by acknowledging there there is righteous anger, there is sinful anger. Psalm 7 verse 11 tells us that God is righteous in his indignation. However, for fallen man, the involuntary response of anger is most often a sinful response. James 1 verse 20 says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And, and, and folks, I would dare you to demonstrate a time when your reactive anger was helpful to a situation. A time when your involuntary, impulsive, responsive anger edified others. A, a time when it pr- promoted a solution and, and not the problem. And so we must be purposeful to act and not react Okay, but if we aren't fearful or envious or angry when the wicked win, what are our options? And that would be positively, when the wicked win, let's do these things. Number one, positively, number one, we we trust. We trust. Look at verse number three, trust in the Lord and do good. Look at verse number five. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also to him and he shall bring it to pass. Look at verse number 40. Maybe you need to turn the page. Verse number 40, the Lord shall help them and deliver them. Speaking of the righteous, he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Now, there was a time when it was easy to trust. You know when that time was? Back when we were young. But now that we are old, it's harder to trust because we got smart, you see. It's as if David looked back over his life and he remembered those early years and when he was anointed as the king of Israel and when he went out to fight the giant Goliath. Do you remember those Bible stories? David told King Saul, the Lord delivered me from the, the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Such boldness and courage for a young man, too naive perhaps to to really assess the situation and understand the threats. Either David was crazy in his youth or he was able to trust God. So David goes before Goliath and he says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Is it any wonder that David wrote in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So when the wicked win, we trust. Look at verse three. Again, trust in the Lord and do good. 
dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. What do you think that calls us to do? I wonder what the second part there, verse three, suggests. I, I think it would call us to obey, number two. Obey. Now, sometimes obedience demands that we pack up and we move on in some dramatic fashion. However, more often, obedience demands that we sit tight and stay put and live life where God has put us. There in verse three, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, sit tight, stay put, obey. Perhaps you didn't know this, but our family has a dog. Did you know that? (laughs) We have a dog, Sherlock, and if Sherlock is left to his own devices, he will wander and he will run. And so for that reason, there are times where we command him to sit and stay. In fact, my wife has done a very good job of training our dog so that if you tell Sherlock to sit and stay, he will stay there. You can leave the room and come back, and he's still there. How about that? It's remarkable. Um, Did I just compliment our dog? Did I just, (laughs) I must not be feeling well this evening. He is content to sit and stay in obedience. And folks, one of the greatest incentives for our obedience to dwell in the land, to feast on his faithfulness, to sit tight and stay is in knowing the one whom you obey cares for you. He is faithful to you. So this is how we act. We say, Lord, you've been good to me. You've been faithful to me. I can sit tight in this place where you have put me. That's how we act when the wicked win. Look at verse number four. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Of course, number three there is delight. From verse number four, number three, delights. Now, be careful to note that we are not called to delight ourselves in every circumstance. It may be that your circumstance is objectively bad. Sin has prevailed. The wicked are winning. I've been wrongly accused. I've suffered a loss. I am hurting. Okay, our delight is in the Lord. The problem for us is that this seems to be abstract. It seems to be subjective. My pain is material, but my delight is theoretical. Did you catch that? My suffering, my pain, the injustice that I've experienced is is very real and material. But my delight is a bit theoretical. I'm supposed to delight myself in the Lord. When we pursue God's face, his person, his character, his will, the desires of our heart then align with his and we find the fulfillment that we need so that when the wicked win and when we lose, we still find joy in the Lord. See if you can identify with me this next theme as I read verse number seven, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Look at verse number nine, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off you shall see it how about this number four in your notes we wait 
we wait. Waiting is some of the hardest, hardest things to do. In fact, I was talking with a gentleman this week, and uh, he's in a season of waiting in his life, and he conceded to me it's been hard. I've often confessed I wish I had a remote control for life, that I could just press the fast-forward button to, to skip ahead to the next chapter or the next point of the movie of my life because I don't want to wait to get through a matter. This past week I was studying this very psalm and preparing for this message while in the waiting room of Twin Cities Orthopedic Surgery Center. Our daughter Sophia had some surgery on a broken finger. She needed some pins put in her finger, uh, injury from playing basketball. And so I was waiting in a place called the waiting room. You've all been there, right? You've all been in the waiting room. Let me tell you about this waiting room just this past week. Um, First, I had to wear a mask the entire time. And I was frustrated by that. I had a bad attitude, and I was always pulling it down and cheating, you know, under my chin. And of course, the receptionist was stationed at her desk directly in front of me. And multiple times, she corrected me and had me put my mask back on. And I was tempted to go sit in the parking lot. But... um, Next, the person sitting next to me was so loud on their phone. Now, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, I'm trying to prepare, and you're just being obnoxious on your phone. Of course, there's a TV on the wall, but there's no volume to the TV, so that's not helpful, right? So I'm watching the TV, I'm listening to the person, I'm supposed to be studying for this message, and my mask is still over my face. You understand my frustration? And then, one other item. There's there's a clock. There's a clock in the waiting room. It's, it's like an ancient torture device when you're in the waiting room and, and there's a clock and, and I must have looked at that clock probably a hundred times in the course of an hour, right? When would they come and inform me of, of how the surgery went? And, and, and I'm waiting there in that waiting room and uh, it was a long wait. I'm, I'm very grateful. Sophia's surgery was nothing more than routine. It was successful. She just has now four to six weeks to wait until those pins can be removed from her, her finger. But, but folks, we must purpose to wait. It's something that we must do proactively, acting, not reacting, to wait. Secondly, number two, Beyond acting, don't react. Number two, walk, don't fall. Walk, don't fall. Now, we always tell our children at the pool or at the water park or when the sidewalk is covered with ice, we tell them to walk so that they don't what? So that they don't fall. But yet we're no different. And the impulse of our hurried souls wants to race forward as if we're in competition to win every culture war or political contest or material benefit. And we want to keep up with the Joneses and we want to get there before they do and we want to win at all costs. But then we crash and burn in our haste because we're rushing and we're, we're racing. And once again, I would cite... Asaph in Psalm 73, Psalm 37, Psalm 73, the antithesis of one another. Asaph says this, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And if we don't walk by faith, then we will stumble and fall. Know that letter A, God will cut off 
the wicked. God will cut off the wicked. And in your, in your notes there, you see I've, I've given you uh, numerous references in, here in, in Psalm 37. And this theme is threaded throughout all of the psalm. And so indulge me a reading of Psalm 37 as I've printed there, beginning in verse number two. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb, speaking of the wicked who we think are winning. Look at verse number nine. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you shall look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Verse number 12. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay those who are upright conduct, but their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 20, but the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows shall vanish into smoke they shall vanish away. Verse 22, for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice, does not forsake his saints, they are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 34, wait in the Lord, keep his way, he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Verses 35 and 36, as well, you see it. Verse 38, again, the future of the wicked shall be cut off. I've given you these these references. God will cut off the wicked. There was an atheist farmer um, who ridiculed those who believed in God. And he wrote a letter to the local newspaper in which he boasted, this is the, the wicked farmer. He said, I plowed on Sunday. I planted on Sunday. I cultivated on Sunday. And I hauled in my crops on Sunday. But I never went to church on Sunday. Yet I hauled in more bushels per acre than anyone who believes in God and goes to church on Sunday. The general editor printed the letter and then added this remark. The Lord doesn't always settle his accounts in October, you see, at harvest time. That farmer's harvest is not the end of the story. For God has explicitly declared that he will cut off the wicked. Of course, God will deal with the wicked in his own way and in his own time. That's our problem. Lord, how long? Why don't you do something already? God, do you you watch the news? Are you watching the same news that I'm watching? Lord, have you seen what I've seen that's happening in in my community or in my family or on my job? And so while this is some comfort, I guess, that God will cut off the wicked, we are impatient for his wrath to fall. And so I would say to us, let's walk, don't run, don't fall. And then, of course, we wonder about ourselves, and that's letter B, God will lift up the righteous, lift up the righteous. You see it in verse 17, you see it in verse 24, the word is uphold, I'll I'll take the time, verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds 
the righteous. Verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So in what way is God going to uphold the righteous? And there are a number of ways, and we could work through the whole psalm again to identify them. Let me just point you to a few. In verses 23 and 24, God establishes and protects the way of the righteous. Verses 25 and 26, God never forsakes them but provides for them. Look at verses 27, 28, 29. God gives them security in the land. In fact, if you go back to verse number nine and verse 11 and verse 24 and verse 34, you find God promising to give them the inheritance of the land. Then look at verse 31. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Folks, verse 31 is one of those verses that you need to take away this evening. You, you need to underscore it, highlight it. When the wicked win in our culture and in our government and on the job and it makes us go crazy, what keeps us on our feet? What keeps us grounded? It's when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. It's his word, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, Colossians 3.16. It's God's word hidden in our hearts, Deuteronomy 6, verse number 6. So God will lift up or uphold the righteous there and let her be. Finally, in the final verses, I would offer you number three, wait, don't worry. Act, don't react. Walk, don't trip and fall because you're rushing or racing. Number three, wait, don't worry. This past week, I was privileged to spend a day in St. Paul at our state's capital with the Church Ambassador Network, which is an initiative of the Minnesota Family Council. And the intent of the Church Ambassador Network is to facilitate pastors of churches meeting with representatives and senators and not to lobby them for funding, not to argue policy with them, but to meet with them and learn how we can pray for them. And I spent a few hours with Pastor Rory Martin from Liberty Baptist in Eden Prairie visiting various legislators, Republicans and Democrats. And, and as I, I walked the hallways of our government and as I visited their offices, it was obvious to me who was fighting what causes by the signage and the symbols that they had in their respective spaces. For example, large sign on an office door that read, abortion is healthcare. In fact, I saw that sign on more than half of the doors, you understand. Other, another place, a rainbow flag hung next to the United States flag. And uh, I spent the day at the Capitol meeting these individuals and hearing from them and praying for them and giving them Bibles. And we know that the, the majority of, of our governors and governments are not fighting for causes uh, of righteousness. Wickedness is winning right now. And it's, it's worrisome. But we need to wait and not worry. So, so what do we do? Letter A, watch the destruction of the wicked. 
If you look at verses 34 and 35, wait on the Lord. Don't worry, wait, don't worry. Keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. You shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power. I, I walked the halls of government. I visited their offices. I've, I've been in the public square, spreading himself like a, a native green tree, you see there, verse 36. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I saw him, but could not be found. Also there in verse 38, he's cut off. Now, I'm not suggesting that we take pleasure in the demise of the wicked. However, there is definite solace in knowing that God, in his time, will render justice. Folks, we don't need to worry about the wicked winning. We know that the wrongs will be righted and they will be made right in his time. Turn quickly to to Ecclesiastes. I I just... uh, I don't know if we have the time for this, but I, I'd like to highlight for you in, first, or in Ecclesiastes 3, of course, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was the preacher. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was the philosopher. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was the theologian. And after a familiar passage early in Ecclesiastes 3 where Solomon acknowledges there is a time for everything, he says this in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 16 and 17. Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment or justice, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity, sin was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. And consistent with the theme of Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon is recognizing that there is a time when things will be made right. We we don't know when, but we stand by and we watch. Let me give you an example from history. It was 100 years ago that wickedness was winning in the world in the form of, of communism in the Soviet Union. The point man at the time was Vladimir Lenin. History reports that Lenin was responsible for the death of at least 3 million people through executions, forced labor camps, and starvation of the peasant class. Lenin died on January 21st, 1924, having just finished putting on trial some Roman priests in Moscow. The archbishop and his companions had been paraded through the streets as objects of derision, hatred, and scorn. The next night, death came for Lenin. And the author here personifies death as as uh, the death angel, if you will, passing swiftly by the triple row of guards marching unconcernedly through the locked and bolted doors. He that is the death angel came and stood by the bed in which the dictator lay and there he tarried for a little while contemplating the man that he would soon carry off into eternity. From that day on, Lenin became a living corpse. The autopsy performed on Lenin's body later showed that there had been terrible destruction to his brain which had had thought so incisively throughout, through the worldwide ramifications and implications of communism. One of England's newspapers, the Daily Mail, in its issue dated February 1st of 1924, tells what happened to Lenin before the end finally came. It reports that he went mad. It was commonly reported, the paper says, that Lenin spent his last days of activity crawling on all fours like a beast around the room in his carefully guarded retreat, apologizing to the furniture for his misdeeds, the memory of which remained amid the ruins of his mind, and shouting repeatedly, God save Russia and kill the Jews. 
Then God gave the final nod to death. And death silenced the madman forever and took his naked and guilty soul into eternity to await judgment at the great white throne. The wicked man's plot, the wicked man's power, the wicked man's prosperity, the wicked man's protection all reduced to nothing in a moment of time by death. We should wait, don't worry. God, the righteous judge, will destroy the wicked. But then finally, letter B, watch not just the destruction of the wicked, watch the salvation of the righteous. And that's here, verse 37, verses 39 and 40, but the salvation, verse 39, of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Watch the salvation of the righteous. I'll close with this. Imagine with me that you, that we, are among the children of Israel who have just fled Egypt and the, the wicked Pharaoh but we turn over our shoulder and we see the wickedness pursuing us. Our back is against the Red Sea. And from every human evidence, it appears that the wicked will win again and destroy us all. And yet what does Moses say in Exodus 14, verse 13? Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of of the Lord. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. What do we do when the wicked win? We watch the salvation of the righteous at the hand of the Lord. So I would encourage us all as we live together in this wicked world and we lament and we grieve what we see. Let's turn our attention to the salvation of the Lord. Act, don't react. Walk, don't fall. And wait, don't worry. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm, this Hebrew poem. I thank you, Lord, for how it's instructive to us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to respond or to act in, in these ways, even as David, who had grown old, looked back over the course of his life. He was old, or he was young, but now is old and had good perspective on these things. We trust you in Jesus' name I pray, amen.